Cricket Life Stories with me, Neil Kagram, and today we're joined by James Franklin. James, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, really pleasure. appreciate it. No worries. So, born in Wellington, mm -hmm. New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Tell me how it all started. Um, well, I, I guess uh, my parents, uh, and they still actually live in the same house that I grew up in, um, which is right next to a cricket ground called Anderson Park, which is the home to um, a Wellington club, a cricket club called Wellington Collegians. And every, every day in the summer, I'd be pretty much down at that park, even in the winter. When there was no cricket on, I'd always be down there kicking a football around or, or, or whatever on my bike. Um, Anderson Park's right amongst these sort of botanical gardens of Wellington, so it's a, it's a great area for a kid to grow up. Um, so every day through the summer, I'd always be down at this cricket club, um, you know, hit, hitting a ball or, or helping out. Um, and I was probably a bit of a pain in the backside, I think. There, there was a lot of... Um, obviously senior men's teams down there and they sort of took me under their wing as sort of I guess a bit of a mascot or, or a, a, a young lad that was keen and loved the game and um, you know they'd always hit little catches to me or, or give me um, little throwdowns and in return I'd sort of have to chase the ball or um, just just help out around the club where I could and I, I guess that's where everything was born. My father was a very avid cricket fan and um, I guess um, yeah my parents always made sure that um, I'd get to games on Saturdays and um, they sort of fostered that love as well for, for the game right from an early age. So cricket was accessible to me, it was on my doorstep and I guess that's where it all started. So in New Zealand there's a lot you know, of importance placed on rugby. Yeah. So I've seen you today, you're a big lad. That never really took your fancy, it was always cricket? Yeah, um, I played football really um, and again uh, the local football team for me was a, was a club called Waterside Karori, um, which was sort of 10 minutes up the road from where I, I lived and um, I had a group of you know, mates that all played football. Um, sure there were, there were young lads that played rugby but at that time, um, sort of through the late 80s, a lot of kids did play football to start with and then sort of at 10, 11, 12 they would sort of transition over to rugby um, and I tried that, I, I played one year of rugby um, but I, I just didn't enjoy it, I played fullback, I never got the ball, um, I didn't mind being tackled but I hated tackling <laughs> and um, I just found the enjoyment of football uh, far greater so I, I returned to playing football um, and I was in a good club team for football, we did well and there was a lot more enjoyment with that for me. Um, but cricket was always the, the main focus um, and, and football, I was okay at it but it was, it was a, a way I guess of keeping fit for cricket. Um, and I played football right up until the age of sort of 18. Um, through school years I went to Wellington College in, in Wellington there and um, yeah, uh, once I got to 18, I sort of, you know, I left school and I was straight into a New Zealand Cricket Academy where, you know, life as a professional cricketer kind of started for me. And talk me through that kind of period at 18, you know, how did you find that transition? Oh, I loved it. Um, you know, school was great and, and I, again, I did okay at, at my school grades. Um, I, was, I was not an amazing student. Um, but again, through my schooling years, I, I had a, a, a great headmaster, a guy called Roger Moses, who again was a, was a, uh, a passionate um, sporting fan. So um, he was always keen for his sporting teams and his school to do very well. And I guess being at a, at a school like Wellington College, which in New Zealand is, um, 
you know it's got a, a proud sporting history amongst all the other sort of big schools in New Zealand it's always done well at rugby cricket football hockey um, various other sports um, so I was lucky that I was able to attend that school and um, again through the headmaster chasing sports and, and wanting to pursue that and doing well at it, it was always sort of um, you know he was always pushing that as well as obviously the academic side um, and, and my peer group at school were a, a bunch of good sports um, players whether it was in cricket or, or football um, so there was always that constant um, competitiveness amongst each other sure. and, and drive to be a, a good sporting team as well as good players so when it came time to leave school um, uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to attend the New Zealand Cricket Academy and to rewind a bit I've been involved in the New Zealand under 19 cricket team yeah. um, sort of my second to last year at school when I was 17 and, and my last year at school when I was 17 going on 18 um, so I'd already sort of been identified a little bit by New Zealand cricket um, as a player that they wanted to I guess invest. fast track yeah or maybe just investing um, I'd been around the Wellington age group teams ever since I was sort of 10 or 11 as well um, starting from sort of under 13s or under 14s um, and yeah as I said got involved in the New Zealand under 19 side as a uh, later in my sort of college later years 16 17 and then got a letter in the post to you know ask if I was interested in, in um, turning up to the New Zealand Cricket Academy in my first year out of school um, which obviously absolutely leapt at the opportunity I'd already played a couple of games for Wellington uh, in terms of first-class cricket um, so I left school we leave school and sort of late November early December in New Zealand um, sort of runs or aligns with the with the calendar year um, so I left school and I, I sort of was uh, straight away sort of involved with New Zealand under 19s for the uh, rest of that summer a little bit of stuff with Wellington up until sort of the end of March and then went into the New Zealand Cricket Academy which was a, a resident placing down in a place called Lincoln University which is just outside of Christchurch um, and we we get together from early April so the end of the cricket season in New Zealand and you'd live in there for six seven months oh, wow. okay. so you, you'd train um, pretty much Monday to Friday eat, sleep breathe it yeah eat sleep breathe it and there'd be a lot of other stuff around just the actual cricket playing side so if you wanted to do a course at university you could um, uh, not too many guys up took on that yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which was a little bit naive of us um, and yeah it was just an environment again which you know pushed you um, uh, you started to develop habits of what being a professional sports person was all about um, you know things like nutrition um, strength and conditioning uh, relentlessly having to turn up every day and train um, I guess that year was was quite important for me just in terms of learning the behaviours and patterns uh, of what it was to be a professional sports person. And I did mention their fast track. I did say that because you made your um, ODI debut at the age of 20. Yeah. Um, did you feel you were ready? I know there was um, injuries and they've obviously spotted a talent in yourself. Um, did you feel as if it was the right time? Uh, no, no, I, I don't think it was the right time uh, in reflection. I think uh, I was definitely selected too early. I, I went on a, I went on a trip to India with the New Zealand Cricket Academy uh, when I was about 19. 
Um, it was sort of the year after I'd been involved in the New Zealand Cricket Academy, so the next year they still had academy sides going off during the winter and the New Zealand winter to play on tours to again try and develop and as you say fast track some players and bridge that gap between I guess uh, domestic cricket and international cricket and you see that a lot now with England Lions tours, New Zealand A, a team tours from all the countries really. Um, so this was one of those trips and uh, Sir Richard Hadley was the manager. Uh, he happened to be at the time a uh, selector for New Zealand or the head selector and his brother Dale Hadley was coaching that side um, and I had a good tour. I, I, I did well um, and I think he kind of saw uh, a talent there that may or may not work for international cricket straight away um, and I got picked and I'd probably only played maybe I don't know, a handful, maybe 10 first class games and had done nothing. Um, and I got picked in the New Zealand side for a test match actually on my home ground, a Boxing Day test against Zimbabwe. I didn't actually make the final 11. Um, and then it was it was bizarre. I, during that test match I went away to play for Wellington yeah. in, a, in a one day game. And I turned up and I was made 12th man for that game oh. for my domestic team. Um, which I, I was obviously disappointed with, but then came back to the test match um, to, to be subfielder for the last couple of days and just be in that environment. And then I got picked for the New Zealand one day team uh, straight after that test match. And I remember Adam Perori, who was a wicketkeeper at the time, came up to me and shook my hand and said, he said, I bet you're really confused now um, because I couldn't make my, my domestic one day team, but yeah, I was being picked for the New Zealand one day team for a series of games against Zimbabwe following that test match and I ended up playing I think all three games um, and did okay and then yeah, got picked for New Zealand for all next sort of 18 months. Yeah, uh, so the ODI debut that was in 2001? Yeah, so I'd, I'd, I was just 20, I literally 20 in a couple of months, so I was, I was pretty young and fresh, um, you know, well, I think we see at the moment and what are we, we're early November 2019, we're seeing the likes of Tom Banton being picked for England as 20 year old and I look at him and, and I think back to where I was and you know he, he's he's so far ahead of where I was as a as a 20 year old and um, you know some some players are some players are naturally ready at a, at a younger age and, and some aren't some you know are ready at 25 or 28 it just it's all different um, but definitely for me I, I was not ready and then you made your test debut uh, a year late a year later uh, I think a few months later, few months yeah, I think a few months later, off the top of my head, I think. Um, against Pakistan? Against Pakistan. So that, that summer in New Zealand, we played Zimbabwe, and then I think Sri Lanka came and played, and then Pakistan were the headline tour. So our headline tour in New Zealand is during February, March, and Pakistan came out, and um, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, for me, again, being a 20-year-old, and this is what I mean by not being ready, I was... I was playing against these opposition like almost in awe because as a kid I'm growing up and all Seen of a sudden on TV. I'm playing against Waka Yunus and Waza Makram and um, uh, Saeed Anwar and, and these sorts of guys, the Flower Brothers, you know, uh, Jay Saria, um, Murley and I'm, I'm going wow this is so cool I'm, I'm actually lining up against them rather than actually thinking about how I'm going to compete. Yeah. Um, so yeah I made, I made my test debut against Pakistan were you picked mainly as a bowler? I was, yeah. At this stage, I was. And um, as I asked, was with the bat. I know it didn't 
turn out too well on your debut? You've got a pair. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding <laughs> Sorry, me. Uh, no, yeah, it was. It was. Um, I was actually on a king pair. I got out for a golden duck in my right. first ever innings in <laughs> Test cricket. Um, Sucklain Mushtaq got me with his famous Dizra first ball. Um, which not a bad guy to get out to. Uh, if you are to, yeah. you to get out to someone first off. Yeah. Um, and then so. Yeah, I, I, I got dropped after that first test. I think I only took one wicket in the test match. It was at Eden Park. Um, then the next test, uh, I think off the top of my second, I wish that might have got actually 100 in that test, which was they're playing on an absolute road at, um, at Christchurch. And then I came back in for the third test um, at Hamilton and, and did well. Actually, I, I think I might have got six wickets in that test match. and. Um, was was back in the frame there and felt all of a sudden you know you get a performance and you kind of feel like okay right this might now be the start of things um, and then yeah we we were actually we finished the summer so we, we won that test match so we finished the summer on a good note um, and then I think we had a, a, a trip I think we had a trip uh, to Pakistan that we were meant to go to um, or Sharjah or somewhere and I didn't play that well um, came back for the winter for New Zealand and then yeah I was in and out of the team for probably sort of the next year yeah and never really quite nailed it um, again just sort of thinking thinking more about who I was playing against rather than actually getting in the fight of the game um, so as you say things did stagnate between that period and now I just want to fast forward to 2004 yeah and England yeah so you come over and you're playing in the Lancashire Leagues yeah. whilst the actual first team, test team are actually competing against England. Was that kind of a, a strategic thing that you thought maybe if I play here, get used to the conditions or was it just an opportunity to play in your winter? Um, uh, I guess it was a bit of both really. I'd, I'd spent sort of the last previous couple of years out in the New Zealand team which was really good for me uh, in terms of developing my game and getting to understand form and the ins and outs of, of that and, and dealing with that mentally um, and, and also just working on my own game in the less pressurised environment I guess of New Zealand first class cricket um, and so I, I really did develop my game um, and I felt more confident with my game and I went to England for the first time um, in that 2004 off the back of a, a pretty good season for Wellington back in the New Zealand uh, domestic um, scene and yeah I mean it might have been part strategic because I knew that I had a good season that if I went to England um, and New Zealand were touring there you, you never know injuries could happen and there might be an opportunity but it was also I'd never been to England to play cricket so I was quite excited about you know coming here as a 23 year old um, and seeing what the English see what the swing is all about left arm swing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so I came over I, I played a couple of months of, of league cricket up in Lancashire for a club called Rushton um, which was which was good fun and then New Zealand were here and so they knew I was over I went and trained at a couple of practices of theirs I think it was at Headingley before the second test and they got a couple of injuries around about that time um, and so I got I got called into the New Zealand Test squad for the last test as as cover initially, but then all of a sudden between the second and third test, it unfolded that a couple of guys just weren't going to be fit. Um, and you performed. Why? Well, and I'd obviously took your chance. Yeah, and I'd obviously. That's what sports all about. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I've, I I obviously bowled right in the nets previous in the you know the second test to to whoever 
with the decision makers and um, got a chance and, and did okay. We lost that test at Trent Bridge, that last test, um, against a very good England team, an England team that was really building into the team that ultimately went on to win the Ashes the following year in 2005, uh, which I think everyone um, that follows cricket will remember fondly as one of the great test series of all time. Um, but a six for not bad. Yeah, I mean, I got I got six wickets in that game um, at Trent Bridge, and, and I guess my second coming as an international cricketer. And through those injuries as well, it meant some players couldn't play in the one-day series to follow. Uh, so I got drafted into that and did all right in that. New Zealand did well. We won that triangular, I think, with the West Indies. Yeah, so I've seen some stats here. Five for 42 at Durham. Yeah, yeah, I, I got my uh, PB in international... Um, one day cricket bowling uh, at Durham in that series and um, that was a springboard for probably my best two or three years to follow in international cricket. I was going to say yeah so you did play 31 tests, 110 one dayers mm. but is this where you really felt you belonged then? Yeah and I had a coach that really backed me, John Bracewell um, who was New Zealand coach at the time and, and went on to coach New Zealand for four or five years um, really backed me um, and, and also the captain Stephen Fleming at the time was, was a, a, I guess, a, a fan of mine and, and what I could offer the team and um, I got their full backing to go out there and, and that gave me confidence as a player. Also the confidence I had built in myself as well from being out of the team for a couple of years and, and working on my game, it sort of all came together and through that mid-2000s I probably had my best two, three years of international cricket. And how much of was a highlight, that hat-trick you took? Yes, Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's I get asked. By the time the second uh, yeah. New Zealander. I get I get asked every now and again, um, you know, about that crazy five minutes, um, and and, it, and that's kind of how I explain it. Is that it's all a bit of a blur now. I can't really remember too much of it because it happened so fast. I mean, if you ask me who the batsmen were, I couldn't actually tell you. Um, and it's just one of those things that. Um, freakishly can happen to anyone um, if, if everything aligns um, in terms of if, if you're bowling in international cricket and uh, I just got lucky. And you did mention Stephen Fleming there. Yeah. Was he the, uh, the best captain? For me, yeah. Throughout, throughout your career? Yeah, for me he was and I think he said... How influential was he on New Zealand cricket as a whole? Oh, massively because I think, I think um, if you move forward from from when Steve retired, I think he definitely influenced the likes of Daniel Vittori who took over the captaincy and then Brendan McCullum. They, they definitely had their own spin on it in terms of how they wanted to, to skin it, but I think I think Stephen definitely left an impression on those guys with their leadership and I think where New Zealand is at at the moment I think also harks back to how Stephen went about running the team, his tactics, his leadership. Um, I think he's he's definitely a guy that um, he doesn't like to take too much credit on stuff, but I think he, he he's definitely a guy that uh, my generation would say had a massive uh, impact on New Zealand cricket. Must have been special then to get your maiden test uh, 100 batting alongside him. Yeah, 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 and we, I mean... You've got a stand of like 200 together, don't you? Yeah. Um, and With a great man on the, at the other end. Yeah, I mean, he's he's widely regarded in, in New Zealand cricket circles as, as one of the best batsmen that we've ever produced. Um, 
I think frustratingly for him, he, he probably didn't score as many international hundreds as he would have liked. But there's no, there was never any doubt about you know he was our premier batsman, as well as as being our captain. Um, and yeah, I think any cricket follower would genuinely tune in to watch Steve Fleming bat because just the elegance that he went about it. Um, he was a terrific player. So for me to get my maiden. Uh, Test hundred with him at the other end was great because he also became a good friend. You know, um, we actually lived around the road from each other, and we spent quite a bit of time. We played together for Wellington, um, and, and obviously spent a lot of time through those mid two thousands playing for New Zealand together. So we actually became quite good mates. So it was it was nice to be out there. I saw him as a bit of a mentor in terms of my own batting. Um, so it was nice to be out there with him. Um, putting on a, a, a cool partnership against a, a pretty good South African team. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the attack must have comprised of the likes of Antini, uh, Yeah, Dale Stone. Stain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was good. Walker must have been there. Uh, I was? don't think so. I think it was Andre Nell. Andre Nell. And, um, Not bad. Yeah, I mean, it was, again, like, I, got, I think I got dropped a couple of times and it was a pretty good batting wicket. I think South Africa came out to bat after we did it and piled the runs on, so... Um, it wasn't a green seamer that was tricky, let's put it that way. So, 122 uh, in the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, and, and frustratingly for me and maybe a few people that, that follow my career, I, I was never able to really do that again um, for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, I, I, I look back and I, I definitely should have scored a lot more runs than I did in my international career. Um, what do you think was the reason that you didn't? Was it mental? Yeah, maybe maybe there's a, there's a mental side to it that I, you know, through this period of time where I felt my international career was going really well, I, I, I got a bad knee injury um, after sort of the 2007 World Cup where I felt I was really on top of my game and I was really starting to have an impact for New Zealand um, and I was feeling confident about what I was doing. Um, I spent probably about 18 months out of the international um, game dealing with an injury, trying to get fit again. And How did that injury come about? Just wear and tear, really. I, I had a couple of dodgy knees that, that needed some um, attending to, and one thing led to another, and it actually ended up being far worse than what we kind of thought. So um, I, I had a knee operation, and, and the recuperation was pretty much nine, nine to 12 months. Um, Do you think you were ever the same player again? I wasn't the same bowler. I wasn't, and not for lack of trying. <laughs> I know that a lot of my mates used to give me rib ribbing for, for being... Uh, not the most forthcoming bowler going around. I always preferred batting, um, but I always always tried as hard as I could with my bowling when I did get the ball in my hand and I just wasn't able to generate the same pace as what I had prior to the knee injury. Um, so I, I just wasn't able to get quite back to that level. Um, I came back into the New Zealand side, but after Bracewell left as a coach, we, we had a little bit of chopping and changing with our coaches through probably 2008 to sort of 2012 when Mike Hesson eventually took over and then when he came back in there was a lot more um, uh, stability around the team but that gap between sort of 2008 and 12 I think we had three three coaches that um, you know they've all got their own opinion and their own take on players and I was I was kind of a fringe player at that time. Um, You're still involved in the um, in the major tournament, the World Cup. Yeah, that I was, was the team that got to the semi-final. Yeah, I was still in 2011. Yeah, I was still involved, um, but I was very in and out, and my role would change quite a lot 
You it must know. be difficult as a player. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to play. I wanted to be part of the squad, so um, I didn't really... <laughs> and I wasn't in a position to demand where I batted or where I bowled. I was, um, as I said, I was a, a, a peripheral player around, I guess, a core group of performers. Um, and with, you know, changing your coaches, they obviously have different opinions on players and... Um, for whatever reason I just didn't quite fit in with these coaches all the time and, and my own performances probably didn't also mean that they had to I had to be in the team like I never really nailed it down um, when I came back after that knee injury so it was all a bit of a frustrating period really. How would you summarise your you know your test of one day career representing your country? Um, a great honour but do you feel you fulfilled your talent or no, you're glad of, of the opportunity. I think I flirted with it. I think I flirted with it. If I'm brutally honest, I think I definitely showed glimpses of, of being a, a good player on the international stage. But um, I think I didn't quite fulfil what I what I could or what I should have. Um, I definitely did it from a domestic point of view, um, and I had a lot of opportunities at international cricket and. I had a lot of great times and a lot of special moments, but um, I probably didn't quite nail it. And what was the most special moment playing for New Zealand? You could um, pick one. Oh, look, uh, there's individual moments that you have, but I've always said that the best moments for me playing for New Zealand were the test match ones that we had. Um, they were always great moments. Uh, you know, when you get that last wicket or... You, or, or someone scores the winning runs to win a test match is for me was always the ultimate feeling the ultimate satisfaction sure taking wickets scoring runs having milestone performances are great along the way um, but for us at that time when i was in the new zealand team test match wins were uh, uh, few and far between um, let's put it that way uh, we certainly knew that we could could compete um, but everything had to come together and we had to really work hard for test match wins and whenever we got them um, I would say that they were always the most memorable moments for me playing for New Zealand. So when you look back at your New Zealand career mm -hmm. how much of an influence was the great Richard Hadley? Uh, an all-rounder yourself? Yeah. That's why I asked the question. Look I think um, as a kid growing up in New Zealand in the 80s he was Hopseed the kingpin along with Martin Crow of New Zealand cricket. Um, so, you know, left a, a massive Im impression on me as, as a, a, a guy to try and aspire to be kind of like. It was always going to be <laughs> lofty to try and to replicate. Um, but certainly, because he was on the TV all the time and doing what he did, um, it sort of certainly inspired you as a kid to go out there and want to play cricket. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward sort of 10, 12 years, um, you know, and all of a sudden I'm a, a late teenager trying to become a professional cricketer and he's, he's a team manager of a, of a team um, for a tour, it was, was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, he'd always offer little tidbits here and there and um, you, you knew if you got a pat, pat on the back from, from Sir Richard that you'd, you'd done a good job. Um, and as I said, at that time when I was breaking into the New Zealand team, he was head of selectors um, and was involved in selection for a number of years with New Zealand cricket. And, um, you know, when tough messages were there to be delivered, he, he would always do that. Um, but equally, he would always um, 
congratulate you and, and as I said pat you on the back when you did well so to get that sort of recognition and, and foster that little bit of a relationship with one of the legends of the game not only in New Zealand but worldwide was was, was a great experience. And then fast forward to your back to your career 2015 mm -hmm. you joined Middlesex mm -hmm. there's a World Cup going on in parallel around the period yep at home yeah you know, did you feel that um you missed out on an opportunity to play in a home world cup uh, or was it a case where you felt you just weren't going to get that opportunity yeah i i, I wasn't going to get that opportunity uh, and i kind of 18 months prior i i'd been involved with the new zealand team mike hesson had come in as coach in t mid 2012 um and he, he actually rang me, he got hold of me. I was playing for Essex at the time as an overseas in the T20. I was doing IPL stuff with Mumbai Indians and, and going okay at that. And I was starting to think at that time, so I was sort of 31 years of age. Um, I was kind of thinking at that time whether or not to pursue something over here in England. I had an Irish passport. I wasn't really involved with the New Zealand team. Um, things were going well from a franchise cricket point of view. I was starting to think that that was where my sort of next sort of five years back in my career was starting to lie and I, I got this phone call out of the blue from Mike Hesson and he sort of said you know I'll, I'd like you to be back involved I want you to get you back involved with the New Zealand team and there's definitely going to be more um, stability and, and consistency with your selection and um, we're going to give you a good crack at this so um, you know I was chuffed a bit so I, I yeah we had a pretty simple conversation that would always try and call a spade a spade the whole way through and didn't want to be blindsided by anything and, and we got on with it and it was good and and I did okay um, through probably the next sort of six to nine months um, there was a lot of stuff going on in the background in New Zealand career at the time Ross Taylor sort of had been dropped from captaincy and Brendan McCullum took over and um, yeah there's a, there a few political maneuvers going on in the background but um, I was just loving being back playing playing for New Zealand um, and felt um, as though the environment was starting to be more stable in terms of a cricket point of view in terms of selection. Um, came over to here in, in 2013 for a, uh, a back end of a, a New Zealand tour to England. I wasn't in the tests so I was involved in the one days that went on to play in a, a champions trophy I think. Um, and I had a shock, I had a, I had a terrible tour, um, I just couldn't buy a run um, and it, it got to a point where uh, yeah just I couldn't really be picked anymore um, and I had a phone call from Mike Hesson um, after the tour and it was around the time that New Zealand were going to con were contracting their players, the 20 players that they do annually and he just rang and said look you're not going to get contracted. Um, how did that make you feel? Uh, yeah, I was disappointed. I was, you know, because you sort of rewind a, a year prior and I'd had a phone call from him saying, That's, that's, that's I what I asked the question, yeah. Um, and sort of, you know, a, a year later he's, he's making a very different decision and rightly or wrongly that was the decision that was made. And um, Did he feel you I'd, had a bit more to offer? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I'd had a stinker of a tour, so I didn't have too many um, grounds to stand on in terms of fighting it um, but I kind of knew at that time it was sort of 18 months out from that World Cup that if I wasn't going to get a contract for that next year that they weren't really going to look at me for that World Cup if I had got a contract uh, on the back of 
poor performance, then I kind of would have felt that, okay, they're backing me for this World Cup, they're just going to ride this out. But um, Corey Anderson had just come on the scene, Grant Elliott was starting to go okay, and they, they were the horses that they backed, um, for want of a better analogy. And, and they ended up you know, providing the goods through that period. They, they played very well. And New Zealand played very well, um, which obviously culminated in New Zealand making that World Cup final. Um, so I knew, I knew then um, when I had that phone call after that tour that that was kind of me done with New Zealand and I was disappointed but I wasn't going to kick cans, I, I knew I still had other things to offer in, in other parts of the world with cricket and I was going to pursue those opportunities. So you come over in 2015 here, you're quickly elevated to uh, captain of Middlesex, mm -hmm. you actually win the championship as well. Yeah. In, um, 2016. 2016. Yeah, so uh, I mean, after that, I guess last sort of series with New Zealand, I, I went back and did a bit of franchise stuff. Uh, 2014, I, I did uh, a stint here with Nottinghamshire, um, which is great. I was playing for Wellington back home and, and had my bit between the teeth with a group of players there to try and win some trophies. We'd gone trophyless. For a good decade in Wellington, so we had a good group of senior players that you know really wanted to win some trophies in the league, start creating um, a winning habit in my province at Wellington. Um, we were forever known as sort of chokers, um, so we, we started to do that there. Um, so that was a that was a big thing for me and, and the guys around me at Wellington. And then, as I said, came here, played some stuff in Nottinghamshire in 2014 as an overseas and that was where I got a bit of a shoulder tap from Angus Fraser who was the director of cricket at Middlesex. We'd played Middlesex at Lords um, and he basically said look I hear you've got an Irish passport, uh, would you be interested in, in... Who in your families? Oh my grandfather, so my grandfather Irish, grandmother English, they, they migrated to New Zealand in the 1920s um, and through that I, I had the the right to get an Irish passport so I'd had that since I sort of was 12 years old um, so I, I kind of always knew I had that up my sleeve um, and so Gus tapped me on the shoulder and said you know do you want to come over and I said yep I'll, I'm pretty keen I just need to talk to the other half um, who at that time was in New Zealand and, and she'd always enjoyed coming over here when I played as an overseas player at various counties and um, we just saw it as a good stepping stone to come and finish my career at, at obviously the home of cricket which was a real privilege but also um, that potentially once my cricket playing days had finished London UK was a good place to start post cricket um, opportunities New Zealand's a very small country um, and, and opportunities are fairly limited so we we kind of saw the great opportunity to play for Middlesex and the privilege of playing at the home of cricket but also the bigger picture of life after cricket so it was an absolute no-brainer to, to move over here in 2015. And then when you actually did win the championship with Middlesex, talk me through that, the last match against Yorkshire, that contrived declaration. Mm -hmm. uh, looking back, you know, I was reading wide reports etc, you were widely supported actually with the decision you made but just talk me through. Yeah, like what you were thinking during yeah. during that game? Yeah, it was it was a mad game of cricket, really. Um, you know, so three teams could have won the championship. Yeah, three teams could have won in Middlesex, Yorkshire, and, playing, and, and Somerset. Somerset. Yeah, so 
again, just to rewind to give some perspective on it, uh, 2015 when I joined Middlesex, we were, uh, I was coming into a team that was building and had been building for a couple of years um, and really developing to become a really strong four-day championship team. Um, I'd taken over the captaincy from Adam Voges, who'd been called up to the Australian team and, and was now very much part of the Australian test fabric and was doing well. Um, so I assumed the captaincy and, and everything went well through that 2015 year. We, we finished second to Yorkshire. Um, we played in some really great games against Yorkshire. They were always the best games to be part of when I was at Middlesex, the four-day fixtures against them. They were, they were the benchmark, but I think they felt when we played them they were always very good contests and I think we kind of um, always pushed them hard and uh, I think off the top of my mind my time at Middlesex we always had it over them in terms of results. Um, so we went into the 2016 year having finished second uh, the year before to, to Yorkshire that we knew that we, we had to get everything right that year. Um, and we had the team to do it and, and you know we went through that season really challenging Yorkshire and, and keeping up with them the whole way through. Um, drawing games when we probably should have lost them, winning games that we probably shouldn't have won. Um, but that was the mentality of the side. It was Mark of a good side, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, mark of a good team and, and mark of you know individuals standing up in pressure moments. And yeah, it all came down to that, that last game at at Lords, um, Somerset were were in uh, vying around us in Yorkshire, and um, you know probably you know that game at Lords it was on Sky. It was all it was all just the build up of the whole fixture itself, and we knew obviously that Somerset were playing Nottinghamshire, who were having a struggling season at that time, and um, you know we also knew that Somerset was starting to play you know some games with their wickets down at Taunton. So um, I think Yorkshire and us both felt that um, we wanted to, no matter what, make sure that one of us would be the champions um, because we both felt that, you know, over sort of the couple of years that we were the teams that were the dominant teams in county championship cricket. And um, no matter what, we were going to play that game as hard as we could. but ultimately a team was going to win. Get a result. Get yeah. a result. Yeah. Um, and that's what it came down to once we got to the um, to that last afternoon is that you know we, we chucked a few numbers around with each other um, and it was you know we, we're going to the bitter end. Um, you left them around 40 overs didn't you? Yeah yeah so we just we had to we had to work through that a little bit um, but it was very much you know we're prepared to lose to win to ultimately win the whole thing um, and that was that was certainly the opinion of the Middlesex group and I know that was the same with the Yorkshire group and it ended up being one of the great games of, in county championship history. So how did that make you feel when Toby Rowland Jones gets the hat trick to win the to win the championship? One of the proudest moments of your career? Yeah amazing. Skipper. Yeah absolutely amazing just you know again I, I guess you, you reflect on it afterwards and it takes time to soak in but for that group of guys it was um, so poignant that they got to win the title at Lords on the last day. As I said they've, they've been building up for years for that moment um, and for Toby to ultimately get that last wicket. I think he got 10 wickets in the game. 
um, he'd been a huge leader for us amongst others. Massive moment, lots of people in the Lords, um, you know, maybe half an hour to go on the season. Um, just a magical moment for that group of players and, and this coaching staff as well who'd been there for a number of years, Gus Razors said that it had taken time for them to build up the team and the squad to this this point in time and it, it was just a magical moment. And now moving forward to your coaching career, mm. you're currently the head coach of uh, Durham. Yeah. How did that come about? Out of the blue really. Um, I was sort of 2018 was my last contracted year with Middlesex as a player and uh, they were going down different avenues with players so I wasn't really playing a lot um, and it got to the end of the season and I was I was done and I was thinking and I had been doing a little bit of assistant coaching work in a, in a couple of franchise teams around the world and I was thinking that probably for the next couple of years that I'd, I'd sort of skim my teeth you know, helping out and trying to get involved in franchise cricket as an assistant and building up a bit of a resume that hopefully by the time I was sort of 40 I could really go for a... So that was always the aim to become... Yeah, yeah, but I, and I think that was just going to be a natural progression from being a leader and a captain of, you know, Middlesex and Wellington back in New Zealand that yeah, that was the big thing that sort of got me out of bed in the morning was helping the coaches foster an environment and, and a culture um, to to build teams that could challenge and, and win trophies. That was got me, that's what got me for my last sort of four or five years of playing. Personal performances obviously were were still there, but it wasn't the be all and end all. It was actually about winning games and and as I said, getting a team into a position to win trophies. So that for me naturally sort of lent itself to coaching. Um, so. As I said, I thought I'd be involved or try to be involved with uh, franchises, but I got this phone call out of the blue from Marcus North, who had just been appointed director of cricket up at Durham, and they were wanting to change things around a bit, and they'd, they'd sort of let Did you have a rapport with Marcus No, no, not, not at all. I mean, we, we were contemporaries, um, but we'd all, always sort of ran side to side with that, but she never ever played against each other. Okay. Um, he'd come to England a lot and played a lot of county cricket with various counties, um, had a successful career in Australia and played obviously for Australia and did well. Um, but he got he got in touch and said, look, we've, we've let go of our, our coach, John Lewis. Um, we're looking to bring in some fresh eyes. Would you be interested in a chat? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I had a chat with him and, and the new CEO, Tim Bostock, and had a coffee meeting and um, you know, laid it out on the table, and and look, they weren't naive to the fact that I had no experience as a head coach. I just finished playing, um, but they've been prepared to back me, um, and knowing that there's going to be mistakes along the way. Um, I don't know everything. I'm I'm a human. I'm not perfect, um, but it's it's been good fun. I mean, Durham's had its own struggles over the last few years with um, penalties imposed financially and and in a playing context. So they've had a lot of players leave over the last few years to other counties and, and rightfully or wrongfully they've gone on and, and done well at these other counties so that that's left a bit of a gap at Durham so now you know Paul Collingwood's also you know retired a year or so ago so they're very much in a transition phase and it's there's a lot of exciting players there um, young players that um, I you know when I got offered the job I, I just saw it as a real challenge and, and a real 
um, opportunity to go up there and, and try and help these young players develop um, and maybe impart a little bit of knowledge but equally just have some fun and, and enjoy watching this group sort of um, come together and, and build Durham up again because they've, they've had a proud history, recent history as well as a county that's challenged and done well in all forms of the game here in England so that's where we ultimately want Durham to get over the next few years so it's been it's been an interesting first year on the job. And the decision in that first year to make Cameron Bancroft the skipper, mm -hmm. obviously he's had his problems with the ball tampering issue. Mm -hmm. You must have known that there would have been some negative connotations with that, but how was the decision made amongst yourself and the leadership group? Yeah, look, we... When I, you must have seen something in him. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He, he was signed as the overseas player before myself or Marcus even got our jobs at Durham. So he was he was coming and um, Marcus obviously had a little bit of um, history with Cameron, both being from Western Australia and, and played a bit together um, when Cameron was a young player breaking through. And, you know, I, I, I came into the job in February 2019 um, and the season was only sort of six weeks away. So we had a lot of discussions behind the scenes about who was going to be captain. Paul Collingwood, as I said, had, had retired the previous season, so there was a gap there to fill. And it was sort of a, a process of elimination and what we were trying to look for in a, in a leader and a captain. And um, we kept coming back to, to Cameron. And we knew that there would be a little bit of kickback with the appointment with, as you say, the ball tampering scenario. but discussions that we had with Cameron, uh, people in Western Australia, people in Australian cricket about um, whether or not he would be the right person was always positive. Um, he hadn't done it before, but we knew he had the right characteristics to, to come in and, and make a good fist of it. And it, it definitely took a couple of months. You know, he came over and he didn't know anyone in the, in the club. They didn't know him. It was always going to take a couple of months for that relationship and that trust to, to really grow and, and build uh, which is important when you're a captain uh, and, a, and a leader but certainly by the time he got recalled back to Australia for the recent Ashes series he was starting to leave a, a, a very good impression and a, and a hard impression on our playing group of you know being a, a consummate professional and a guy that could deliver performance under pressure and, and also expect performance from others and um, you know, we're looking forward to welcoming him, welcoming him back next season. And how would you summarise your first season as coach? Um, yeah, it's been fantastic. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been busy. Um, obviously, when you're a player, you don't quite appreciate <laughs> how much the coaches actually do behind the scenes. So, um, you know, in England, the, the, the playing season is from April to the end of September, and generally as a player, once the start of October rolls around, you're, you're kind of on holiday. But as a coach, it's been a busy October reviewing and, and preparing for the winter um, training and, and obviously for next season. But I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. As I said, when I was back into my career, what got me out of bed was all the sort of stuff that coaching now entails for me. And um, I, I find it a great challenge to plan and um, think about the next game but equally think about the next few months and where the team could be in a year's time and, and constantly having that tuning through your mind and talking to yeah, the other coaches and Marcus North and 
in my circumstance, the director of cricket, um, it's, it's been really good. But equally, just watching the development of, of some of our players, you know, they've, they've had far more opportunity this year up at Durham to go out and showcase what they're about. And we've seen some young players even come through this year. Um, Scott Steele, you know, Liam Travaskas, Matthew Potts, Brighton Cass, uh, to name a few, are some of the younger guys that have, you know, had greater opportunity this year and, and have shown that they, they're up to performing um, at the highest level in England apart from international cricket, so it's, it's great to see. And how do you look at the game as a whole now? Yeah. Back home in New Zealand and here in England, yeah. do you think there's opportunities out there for youngsters? Massive. Back home, is the game healthy? I think so. I mean, I've, I've lost a little bit of touch with New Zealand cricket and specifically domestic cricket. Um, you know, I'm doing a little bit of work with Sky at the moment um, and it's quite funny you know, I sort of ask questions behind the scenes, you know, who are the young players coming through and I honestly kind of ask, I, I don't actually know. Um, but I think... Did I th the recent World Cup must have helped? Yeah, definitely. And, I, and, and we saw that, I mean, I, I even felt that this year on a domestic level in England once that World Cup final was done, um, the uplift in cricket support, spectators, uh, was massive. You know, up at Durham, the T20 um, blast followed the World Cup and we had our best attendances um, ever for a couple of games up there. You know, it was, it was record numbers for us. So I think that was felt right throughout England. Um, so I think definitely cricket with the emergence now, the 100 ball coming in next season, um, you know, hopefully getting more cricket onto sort of terrestrial TV and getting it to a wider audience. Um, there's, there's definitely going to be massive uplift and I think, as you say, opportunity for younger players um, to, to come into the sport and, and see cricket as potentially a, a way to, to make money, you know, to, to have a career in the game. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Well, James, really appreciate your time today. Fantastic career. All the best with the coaching coming up. Thank and you. Yeah, thank you very much today. No worries. So, Cheers. Neil Cagram, Cricket Last Stories. James Franklin, thank you. No worries.